Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, a podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. TIPQC exists to improve health outcomes for mothers and infants in Tennessee through our quality collaborative that will identify opportunities to optimize maternal and infant outcomes across our state and is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. The Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast is designed for medical professionals and for patients and families across the state. We will focus on all aspects of the perinatal period with special attention to reducing our maternal mortality rate. This podcast is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Welcome back to this week's episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee. I'm your host, Amanda Nally. Our annual meeting is just around the corner and we are now at over 70% capacity. Make sure you don't miss out on this unique TIPQC event, March 2nd through 4th. We're bringing top-notch speakers, educators, and healthcare leaders straight to your office or home for free. Register today to join us at www.tipqc.org. That's T-I-P-Q-C dot org to find the registration and all the info you need to join us next month. Dr. Anna Murad, the TIPQC Infant Medical Director, sits down with Dr. Jason Yon from Labonner Children's Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. Dr. Yon is the Clinical Director of General Pediatrics as well as an Associate Professor at the University of Tennessee Health Science Center. Dr. Murad and Dr. Yon discuss safe sleep education in the children's hospital setting and how Labonner has updated their policies and education to improve sleep safety for babies in Memphis. Let's tune in. Hi, everyone. I'm Anna Murad, the Infant Medical Director for TIPQC, and, and pleased to welcome Dr. Jason Yon. Jason is the Vice President of the Tennessee AAP, um, soon to be President next year, and we are going to talk to him about safe sleep. So Dr. Yon, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became interested in safe sleep. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. We see a lot of patients in our clinic who we counsel on safe sleep practices, and Unfortunately, we had a couple of infant deaths in the last few years um, among our patients related to unsafe infant sleep in the home. And that got myself and some of the residents that I work with interested to see if our patients have safe sleep spaces in the home and to explore more to see if that was a barrier to safe sleep. And and what we found is that about 96 to 98% of our Families reported having a dedicated safe sleep space for their infant. But what we also found is that while families do a really good job of following the ABCs of safe infant sleep during uh, nighttime sleeps, that they don't always follow those uh, recommendations during naps or when the child might be sleeping at someone else's house or might be in the care of someone else. This also prompted our residents who practice in the inpatient wards to think about how we practice safe sleep in the hospital. And what we realized is that we really don't do a very good job of practicing and promoting safe sleep in the hospital. Some of that is due to medical reasons, but a lot of the times we found that it it wasn't. And so that really is what prompted us to get started on a larger scale within the hospital to look at our safe sleep policies, and practices and, and how we can uh, do better at practicing safe sleep in the hospital, promoting safe sleep to families once they leave and make sure that we're modeling that messaging um, so that families will, will take that with them once they uh, return home. 
What are some of the specific things you were noticing in your hospital setting? So we actually did some auditing um, because, you know, we, we have to do monthly reporting and it just didn't correlate with what we, what, what the hospital was reporting did not correlate with what we were seeing uh, in, in real life. So we actually did some secret auditing and we found that about only 15 to 20% of our babies were sleeping completely safely. We noticed we still had about 15% of babies who either weren't sleeping in the crib or weren't sleeping on their back. But the most notable thing was that we saw babies sleeping with all kinds of stuff in the bed. So a lot of our babies had extra blankets in the bed, diapers, medical supplies, all all kinds of things, um, and sometimes more than one item. So obviously this made for a dangerous situation potentially in the hospital. But again, going back to that modeling for families when they go home as well to make sure that they continue to follow um, these guidelines. And so we realized we really have to practice what we preach uh, as a first step to, to get this started. So can you talk a little bit about the overall safe sleep landscape in Memphis and sort of the disparities that you may be seeing in your infant mortality rates? So we, we definitely have seen a rise in sleep-related infant deaths in our county. I think Shelby County, uh, although it is the largest county in the state, we also, we routinely lead the state in sleep-related infant deaths, and those numbers have been climbing in recent years. There's a big disparity among Black and white infants in our county as well. Black infants are more than twice as likely to die of a sleep-related death incident than a white infant. Um, So this was a real call to action for us as well, both in our clinical setting and our hospital, that we need to uh, create awareness and um, provide safe sleep uh, spaces and communication to families um, and, and do that ourselves as well. Also to make others aware of the equity issues when it comes to safe sleep um, and so that we can can really hope to make a difference in the community for these infants. So tell me a little bit more about the actual project at Labonner and how the nitty-gritty details of how you got it implemented. We looked at our policy and it was right around the time that the American Academy of Pediatrics had released their latest uh, guidelines on safe infant sleep. So it, it lined up very nicely with the opportunity to revisit our guidelines. And, and we found that our, our current guidelines did not really outline safe infant sleep guidelines that were in line with what the AAP and other groups recommend. So we really went back to the drawing board, focusing on the ABCs of sleep, safe infant sleep, and really working to model the, the policy after the the guidelines. We made it a lot more specific. There are a lot of generalities in our policy previously. And so we got more specific that, uh, and very firm, honestly, that, you know, it is expected at Labonner that babies sleep safely. And that means that they sleep in their crib, they sleep alone, and they sleep with nothing else in the bed with them. We took out a lot of accommodations that had been built in over the years for babies who are premature or babies with certain medical conditions, certain practices that had become the norm, such as raising the head of the bed or putting positioning devices on or around babies. Um, And so we really cleaned a lot of that up and we're really more explicit about, about those types of practices. And even for our premature babies, as soon as they are safe for proper uh, home type sleep environment to go ahead and make that happen in the hospital so that we have a long time of talking with families and promoting that and demonstrating that uh, with those infants before they're ready to go home. So we 
we created a, a large multidisciplinary committee. Uh, we included physicians, nursing, social work, uh, our quality folks, our, our environmental services, um, really every facet of the hospital to provide input and to, to look at it through uh, an equity lens, look at it through a logistical and, and uh, reality lens. Um, and then we, we worked to um, take that out to the, to the various departments of the hospital to get buy-in and support. We're able to implement that policy and have that in place now as our, as our expectations. That's amazing. So was there any feedback you got from the group that was surprising to you or any pushback from your stakeholders? We did get some pushback. In fact, uh, we one of the first groups that we took this uh, new policy to was our family partners council. So that's made up of family members um, who have varying degrees of interaction with our hospital through short interactions uh, hospital stays or patients with chronic medical conditions that may you know visit the hospital more frequently. Um, you know because of our longstanding laxity in some of the practices, I think a lot of them were very used to some practices that did not really follow the new safe sleep guidelines. So we were fortunately to have a, a great parent champion on that council that really helped us and really helped create uh, understanding and buy-in among the other parents. We also received some pushback from nursing. One of the things that we heard was, you know, if we're not going to be able to do some of these things that uh, help our infant sleep safely when we're taking care of three or four other patients, what are we supposed to do? You know, if a parent is not available or a parent leaves um, and we have a crying baby, that made us realize that not only did we need to include in our policy what wasn't allowed, but we also needed to provide ways uh, that nursing and other staff members could support infants and help them practice uh, safe sleep. So we made a big commitment to things like sleep sacks. We were able to partner with other groups to provide sleep sacks for all of our babies when they're in the hospital. We also provide those uh, to parents when they go home. Um, so that was just one instant. We also created a lot of education on ways to promote sleep that don't include things like overswaddling or positioners or things like that. So giving tips to, to nursing and other staff of things that they can proactively do rather than just telling them what they can't. That's so important. I love that you included a parent. I think that is, um, or parents, I think that is absolutely the way you make these kinds of changes. So under your safe sleep policy, how old, um, how far up does it go? So our, our policy applies to infants who are 12 months or less. A lot of our efforts focus on infants who are six months or less, um, just because the the rates of sleep-related infant death are higher in those children. You know, once they're that age, they can you know roll over and things like that. So, so a lot of our auditing focuses on six months and less, but our, our policy does apply twelve months and under. Can you talk a little bit more about the Sleep Sack program? I think we know that our listeners um, often are involved in the quality improvement teams across the state on our Safe Sleep project. And that is something that all of our teams have been very interested in. And so I'm, I know they would appreciate details on that. Yes. So we were able to partner with a group that was able to provide that at little to no cost for the babies in the hospital. And then our, 
our hospital was able to make a commitment to also buy those for uh, us to send the babies home with. So it's really the expectation that that is what our, our babies will sleep in rather than, you know, swaddling or, or other things like that uh, and using excess blankets, especially we knew that was important. We had our finding that, you know, a lot of our babies had excess blankets in the beds with them. We put uh, messaging on the on the sleep sacks as well that goes home with the families on the ABCs of Safe Infant Sleep, just as another reminder. Uh, one big hurdle to that uh, that we're still uh, working to, to surpass is issues with um, laundry services and and washing, especially with Lebonner being part of a larger healthcare system. Uh, we we send our our I I got to learn a lot more about laundry than I ever thought I would, but we but we send our our um, blankets and and sleep sacks and all this other things off to a large you know our larger system wide laundry. So keeping track of those and making sure that we have enough of those uh, on hand at one time. And, you know, just thinking through that we probably need two or three sets at a time for when you rotate one in and rotate one out to the laundry services and how to get those back and how to mark those. Um, what was very important part of the process. So it was really important to work with our logistical folks and our, our like I said, our environmental and our, our laundry service folks to, to make that, uh, make that a reality. I hear you on that one. We actually have had a lot of linen services issues and it's hilarious. We actually got a competing hospital's linens delivered to our unit one time. So I was like, wait, <laughs> this is not, we have to change those out. So can you tell us a little bit about how the Labonner project and kudos to Labonner for um, financing this, the sleep sacks. That's amazing. And what a commitment um, that they've made to be able to do that for their families. Can you talk a little bit about how the hospital project has impacted community awareness as a whole. Well, thank you for that. And um, that is really the next step as part of our, our program is really how do we take this out into the community? Fortunately here, we have over two dozen programs as part of our community outreach arm of the hospital. So a lot of those programs were already doing fantastic work in infusing safe sleep messaging to those families, such as our Nurse Family Partnership, our Healthy Families America, and other, other programs like that that you know go directly into the home or have a lot of impact and interaction with early families. One thing we've been able to do to date is any, any time that we have any type of community outreach or any type of event at the hospital or out in the community is making sure that we make safe sleep a part of that. So, you know, having educational materials or sleep sacks or other things on hand that we make sure we get into the hands of families and talk to them about and just anything else that we can do to make that a part of what we are already doing. Um, and then, like I said, kind of our next step that was really put on hold because of COVID once we're able to get back into the community more is, is looking at ways to continue to do that work in the community. I think that's going to be an incredibly important part just because we know these babies don't necessarily stay in their family home and some of these unsafe sleep events happen with other caregivers. Right. Um, so it really is important. Um, any thoughts on how other hospitals can get started? I think a great place to start is just looking at your policy um, and making sure that uh, it fits with the current guidelines. One other thing that we did once we revised the policy is we created an educational training program um, and we included a lot of the things that we've talked about on this podcast today, including some of the data, some of the Memphis and Shelby County specific data. We included the data that we had from our secret audits to show the scope of the problem here at our hospital. 
And then we talked about a lot of the sort of myths and facts about safe infant sleep and really laid out the AAP guidelines. And, and we require all of our uh, staff to go through that training. And so to help get everyone on board. And I do think, like we said, going to families, going to our family partners council, going to different departmental meetings to get buy-in and, and find specific champions within the departments of the hospital was really helpful. Um, the Cribs for Kids organization is a great place to start as well. It really lays out kind of from A to Z of the steps involved of, of going through a process like this and, and the implementation and really lays out how to do it so you don't have to reinvent the wheel. They have uh, sample policies, they have sample educational and other types of materials like that that I think are really excellent quality and you know it's a great place to, to start and then work towards their certifications as well. The Cribs for Kids program, I think it really is a great resource. It has the ambassador program too for parents. So the parents can go and, and receive free training and then hopefully can help to spread that message a little further in their community. Any thoughts on what messaging to families has been most impactful or most, I guess, most effective? Well, I think one thing that we've been focusing on is is like we talked about, because as you said, you know, a lot of safe sleep may happen outside the home or in other locations or, or during nap times is really focusing on safe sleep for every sleep. It seems like parents have have heard mostly received the ABCs of safe infant sleep and know that and have heard that. But part of it is putting it into practice and part of it is emphasizing that that should be done with every sleep. Uh, I think some of the imaging that we created as well was really powerful. We actually took a picture with consent of one of our babies in the hospital who had all kinds of stuff in the bed with him, um, had you know just blankets and diapers and toys. Um, and then we cleaned that up and put him in the crib how he should be with just the flat sheet and all by himself and on his back. And um, so I think the contrast between those two images is, is pretty powerful as well. And I think helps, helps people get it. And that um, in order to see, you know, what safe sleep should actually look like. How do you all address if a family comes in and they have maybe they're co-sleeping at home or, you know, that they refuse to follow the safe sleep recommendations in the hospital. How do you go about addressing those issues? So I think that's still a work in progress for us right now. Um, we do have the document from the Cribs for Kids that we have parents read and, and sign that acknowledges that this is our policy and reviews the, the risks and benefits and such of the safe infant sleep practices that we have. And, and then they acknowledge that, um, that they you know, are choosing not to, to follow those guidelines, basically. Our education is for all members of our staff. So again, anyone who enters the room, and we really want to empower all of our, all of our staff to be able to have that conversation. You know, some, some families may respond to it better from a doctor or a nurse. Some families may respond to it better from their environmental services person who comes in their room. So really providing that education and like I said, empowering everyone uh, to be able to have that conversation, I think is important as well. And then just, you know, continuing to, to educate uh, when they are with us. One thing we're working on adding right now is a screening for safe sleep. So as part of our intake process, when a patient gets admitted to the hospital, just like we ask about smoking or other unsafe items in the home or things like that, including a question about ensuring that our families and patients have a safe sleep space. And if not, 
then that would trigger a referral to our social workers who could either provide them with uh, those resources directly or through one of our community partners. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I love the idea of screening. I think that's a great idea. I also think you bring up an important um, point when you said that it's a work in progress. Um, this is always going to be something that's going to be a work in progress because you're always going to be having new families and, and people who don't know about safe sleep. So this is something that absolutely has to be in sustainment. Do you have thoughts about how you'll know when you're in sustainment and how you'll continue this project? Yes, well, you're certainly right. Um, we continue to do our secret audits. So we have students and residents who go around at night and peek in on the infants and, and report back to us what our rates of safe sleep are. And, and we look at all those measures. We look at, you know, is the baby sleeping in the crib? Are they on their back? Are there any items in the crib with them? And then what are those items? So hopefully uh, we will see those numbers uh, continue to improve over time. We are beginning to monitor uh, the rates of our staff members who actually complete the training. And so we think it's important to do that yearly, just like anything else. You know, having that fresh reminder um, on a yearly basis. Once we have more data, being able to post that uh, on each floor so the floors know how they are doing as far as their rates of safe sleep, making it, you know, making it part of our daily safety issues as well, because in the end, it really is a, a safety issue for the hospital. And so I think that's a way to get buy-in and, and traction as well. And continuing to revisit our policy, you know, as new data comes out, making sure that we remain up to date on that and uh, making sure that our educational materials and, and all of that is up to date and how we how we communicate that to families. So like it is an ongoing process for sure. And it really involves, you know, everything from from the auditing and continuing education, not just to families, but but to staff as well and to give them feedback on how they're doing and and what the gaps are and, and where we can continue to improve. I think following that data is incredibly important, um, let you know where you stand. So are there other things you see as next steps or where you would like this project to go going forward? Well, with COVID, we're, we're really um, circling back around a little bit. You know, we haven't necessarily been able to take those giant steps forward that we would like to. You know, our census has been down just just like just about every children's hospital in our state and, and many around the country. It does provide some good opportunities, I think, for us to do some self-analysis and continue to look at that data and, and see where we're at. But like I said, I think the biggest next step for us is, is how do we continue to take this out in the community? You know, one of the things LeBonner has really focused on in our strategic planning and things like that is, is looking beyond the walls of the hospital and um, really reaching out into the community so that we can prevent these types of things from happening so we don't wait until they get to us and it's, you know, it may be too late. So, um, so I think that will be the next, next big piece of the campaign. And then we are looking to continue to, to work with the state um, to, to look at how we can um, share uh, our journey and experience with others so that we can hopefully uh, help other non-birthing children's hospitals in the state focus on safe sleep and learn from each other and, and uh, other interested hospitals start, start programs like this as well. Well, I think it sounds like an amazing program, and I'm glad you have started it there at Le Bonner. Thank you for being with us today, and we appreciate your time. Um, I think this is an incredibly important message, and you're right. The more that we can get this out to the community at large, the better this will be. So thank you again, Jason. We appreciate your time. Well, thank you so much for having me and uh, letting me talk about this topic uh, that is definitely very important to all of our families throughout the state. 
you for listening to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, presented by TipQC. TipQC is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Do you have ideas for a future guest or topic, or even have a question you would like answered on upcoming episodes? Visit www.tipqc.org, that's T-I-P-Q-C.org, and click on podcast to submit suggestions and questions to our podcast team. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to be the first to know when new episodes are available and find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to stay in the loop with our active projects and other relevant news relating to perinatal health in Tennessee.